I'm so glad you're with me today as together we study from Isaiah chapters 40 to 49. And Isaiah is my favorite Old Testament prophet. I am going to be using some quotes from my two-volume set on Isaiah titled Isaiah, Prophet's Prophet. Very grateful that it's out there. I hope it's good for you. Where I'm headed with this podcast is with Isaiah, I always want to make sure that we focus on what's relevant, applicable, and gives us hope. Because that's what Nephi's direction was as he quoted Isaiah and encouraged us to do that. One of Isaiah's focuses in this these chapters is that God provides servants. Now, one of them is specifically talking about Jesus Christ, but there's also more applicability in just Christ that direct us, in, if they're not Christ, towards Christ, and they give us hope. A major theme that he has in these chapters is that there is peace and rest in Christ. And there's also several quotes that are very applicable to families, especially families who are in time of distress, who are having difficulties. Isaiah's words give hope to families in times of distress, especially spiritual distress. And just want to give a shout out to Cedar Ford. I've been very grateful for their working with me and making the publication, Isaiah Prophet's Prophet, look so good. I really appreciate it. Now, a quick little background. I covered this in the first Come Follow Me on the Isaiah chapters. But a little summary. Here's how Isaiah and Book of Mormon authors say and emphasize the relevance and applicability of Isaiah. Chapter 19. This is Nephi saying, I really want them to persuade them to believe in Christ. But to more fully get them to persuade in Christ, yes, I read Isaiah to them. And then verse 24, which is sometimes not tied into 23, I also read to them that they may have hope because they need it. And then chapter 11 of 2 Nephi, Isaiah is quoted to lift up your hearts. If you're a little bit down, help you rejoice. Make sure that you compare Isaiah to you. In podcast, that's what I'm doing. If you want a verse-by-verse commentary, that's in my book. But this is much more application, likening. 2 Nephi 25, they're to be understood in our day. They're of great worth. They're going to be fulfilled in chapter 3520 in our day. And when the covenant of the Lord is fulfilled, that's when all of Isaiah's words will be fulfilled. I love that testimony of Christ. And then Christ's encouragement about Isaiah 23, verse 1. We've probably all read it several times. To search the words of Isaiah diligently, for great are the words of Isaiah. Starting off, we're going to start in chapter 40. He asks a series of questions. And it's just good to think, why ask questions? I love the way President Henry B. Eyring explained it. To ask and answer questions is at the heart of all learning and all teaching. And he says, here's four ways it does that. Questions that invite students to search for information. Questions that lead students to analyze for understanding. There are questions that invite feeling and testimony and questions that encourage application. There's 14 questions that Isaiah asks in Isaiah chapter 40. Let me just give you the context for those questions in a few verses. Isaiah 40 verse 1, Isaiah writes, Comfort ye. And I love that comfort is a fortification. In other words, with Hebrew translation, it's fortify. It's strengthen. It give hope. When you're comforting, you're strengthening someone else. You're giving them hope. You're fortifying them. And Isaiah is making sure, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Give them hope. Fortify it. This is the focus of Isaiah chapter 40. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. Now that comfortably, 
That Hebrew word means to the heart. Speak to them to the heart, not merely to the mind. Cry unto her. Her warfare is accomplished. She's had a period of really difficult times and is done. Her iniquity, the thing she's done wrong, is pardoned. For she that receiveth of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. There is going to be a recompense. God is going to restore everything and more. It's a doubling. Okay, and that warfare that they've accomplished is literally hardship. Not just attacking and fighting. It's hard service. And then there's an application of a servant of God. Verse 3, it's the voice of him who crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, that is applied in the Gospels to John the Baptist. And the Joseph Smith translation, just going to add one more thing, in chapter Luke 3, it's talking about John the Baptist, and in verse 4, as is written in the book of the prophet Esaias, or Isaiah, and these are the words saying, now we're quoting Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord and make his path straight. There's one of the purposes of John the Baptist. And then there's this little addition about Christ. For behold, and lo, he shall come, as written in the book of the prophets, to take away the sins of the world. So yeah, we switched from John to Jesus. And to bring salvation to the heathen nations and to gather those who are lost, who are of the sheepfold of Israel. And then in verse 6, it goes back to John the Baptist. Yea, even the dispersed and afflicted, and also to prepare the way, that's just like Isaiah, prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way, and make possible the preaching of the gospel unto the Gentiles. I love that little insert in Joseph Smith's translation, because John's mission, as Isaiah identifies it, is to prepare the way for Jesus Christ, and make possible the way of the preaching to the Gentiles. So when, Christ, when John the Baptist comes in the time of Christ, that's what he's doing. He is making that way. But it's also another fulfillment of that prophecy when John the Baptist comes and gives the Aaronic priesthood to Joseph Smith in preparation for the gospel to be restored in our day. There's one more additional context for the 14 questions. Before those 14 are asked, Isaiah also says, O Zion, Zion is that you're going to go into the high mountain, Right? This is just starting. This is the fulfillment when the saints enter the Rocky Mountains. You get that high mountain kind of context. And O Zion. Okay, O Zion that brings forth good tidings, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Get thee up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem. Thou that bring good tidings, this gospel of Jesus Christ. Lift up thy voice with strength. Now that the power of these messengers to lift up their voice with strength will come from God. And it's also dependent on their personal righteousness. Spiritual power is dependent on one's righteousness. Lift it up. Lift that message up. Be not afraid. You got the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't worry. You got it. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. And Isaiah chapter 40 verse 10 says, Behold, the Lord God will come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him. His work is before him. He's the shepherd. He's going to feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm, carry them in his bosom, shall gently lead those who are young. So the focus is really Christ. The context is there are going to be servants who are going to point the way to Christ Jesus Christ. 
But the focus is on Christ and coming to him. He is the shepherd. And then you get 14 questions. And I'm going to read the the questions in the verses, and I'm just going to answer them. Just a short summary. So all these are out of Isaiah 40. Verse 12 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meaned out heaven with his span, with a span, and comprehended the dust on the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in the balance? Hey, who has the ability to weigh mountains? Well, the answer? God does. God knows earth. God knows everything about it. He knows how much the mountains weigh. He knows the span, the length. God knows heaven and earth. He's all-knowing. Then verse 13, Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? Who directs the Spirit of the Lord? God does. God's in charge. Verse 14, Whom hath he taken counsel? Who's instructed him? Taught him in the path of judgment? Taught him knowledge? Showed him the way of understanding? Hey, who's given God counsel, instruction, judgment, knowledge? No. It's God the Father is in charge of all this. God gives counsel. He gives instruction. He gives judgment, knowledge, understanding. No one else gave it to Christ, the Father. This is from him. Okay, and then I'm skipping to verse 18. Next question. To whom will you liken God? Answer, nobody. You can't compare to God to anybody or anything. Verse 21. Hath ye not known? Hath ye not heard? Hath it not been told from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It's a reminder. Can't you remember all these things that God's done? Who God is, his characteristics, and his attributes? We've not known those things from the beginning, but God knew them. They're not hid from us. Verse 25. To whom then shall we liken me, or I shall be equal, saith the Holy One? Answer. God has no equal. Verse 27. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speaketh, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord? Hey, why are you saying that what you're doing is hid from the God? There's nothing hid from God. Okay, one more. Verse 28. Hath thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth, fainteth not, neither is he weary? There is no searching of his understanding. God's all-powerful. Isaiah is using questions in Isaiah 40 to ask questions about God, his attributes. Because he has a purpose in asking all these questions about God's attributes. Your faith in Jesus Christ grows as you become better acquainted with him and his teachings. Studying the attributes of Jesus Christ deepens your faith and fortifies you and keeps you on the covenant path. As you continue to come unto Christ and become more like him, Isaiah is teaching about the attributes of God to build his people's faith in God comforts, like verse 1. It keeps us in the way of the Lord, like verse 3. There are servants that help us to keep us on that covenant path. Faith gives us hope. For as it says in Moroni chapter 7, verse 42, For if a man have faith, he must needs have hope. And in verse 40, or verse 31 of chapter 40, it says, But they that wait on the Lord... And that Hebrew word, another translation is, hope for the Lord, expect the Lord, or wait upon the Lord, shall renew their strength. You're going to be, have strength again. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They're going to have power, symbolic power. 
They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In summary, and this is why I wrote my book, God promises to renew our strength, increase our endurance, and fortify our resolve. In referring to this promise, Henry B. Eyring noted, quote, The word wait in Scripture means to hope for or anticipate. Surely, the great prophet Isaiah meant that. And I think he meant more when he made us a glorious promise. Hope in the book of Isaiah includes waiting with patience and resting or trusting on the Lord. So chapter 40, part of its relevance and application and hope is there is value in teaching with thought out questions, not just any questions, not yes or no questions, but well thought out questions that lead people to think about more on the attributes and characteristics of God. And understanding those attributes build our faith. And faith in Christ leads us to daily hope. And hope engenders patience as we wait on the Lord. Chapter 41 is has a theme of the Lord's servant. Isaiah, and that's just kind of a summary of overview of chapter 41. He says in verse 8, we are the Lord's servants. Verse 8 and 9, we're called like Abraham. We're called a friend. We're called to be loyal. We're called to be trustful. We are his chosen people. God's called us from everybody on the earth, verse 9. In verse 10, he encourages, don't fear, for God will strengthen us. He'll help us. He'll uphold us. Verse 11, there are those who are against us. One day they'll be ashamed and confounded and will perish. And verse 12, those who war against us will become, quote, as a nothing or a thing of naught. And while holding our right hand, symbolic of covenant, symbolic of righteousness, God will say, fear not, I will help thee. In verse 13, and then verses 14 or 15 and 16, God will mold us into powerful instruments, enabling us to perform our work. So I'm going to skip to, to verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed. Now that word dismayed in Hebrew is to gaze. It's to, to look about, around. Or about. It's putting your head left and right and you're looking for something. Fear not, I'm with thee. Don't be looking to the left or right, acting amazed, glancing from side to side. You're not really sure which direction to go, who's going to help you. Don't be that way, unsure, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. I will hold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. In Hebrew, there's a sense that it's there's an amplification of these things. God strengthens, helps, and upholds us. Literally, Isaiah's emphasizing. He's saying, yes, I will strengthen you. Indeed, because there's an adding on top of it, an amplification. I will help you. Why? I will uphold you. There's a crescendoing. It's a building process. I got you, Israel. So, reading 10 through 14. Fear not, I'm with thee. Be not dismayed. I am thy God. I will strengthen... And then I just pause there. You start reading these verses and you go, This reminds me of a hymn. Without reading the rest. How firm a foundation. Verse 3. Fear not, I am with thee. I can't sing very well. Oh, be he not dismayed. For I am thy God, will still give thee aid. This is one of the great hymns of the Restoration based, great scripture, chapter 41. And the text of verse 7 is also very applicable. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose. That's a state of rest. If you are resting on Christ, it strengthens your faith in him. And then you're able to testify 
as verse 7 continues, I will not, I cannot desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never. I'll never, no, never. I'll never, no, never. No, never forsake. Isaiah 41 testifies there is peace and rest in Christ. In chapter 42, it's we start off with one that calls one of the songs, the four major songs or major poetic messages in Isaiah, which describes a servant's song. This is the first one. And he's going to talk about the servant, I've called thee in righteousness. Now, an overview of the servant, and it's not just out of this chapter, but I just want to give you an overview of the servant for the next few chapters in Isaiah. The servant is one who's called by God and his spirits upon him. Obviously, that's going to apply to Jesus Christ, but it's also going to apply generically to someone who's called by God and God puts his spirit in him. Chapter 42 is prepared, they're protected, they're saved to serve at a specific time in a specific place. You could have a great cross-reference, Jeremiah chapter 1. He's saved for a specific time. God knew him from the womb to come forth at that time to serve. Is loved of God. The servant may be uneducated in worldly things, but is taught by God as responsible to speak the words of God to the world. Also, this servant in Isaiah may be persecuted by others, including his own people. God promises a servant they will prevail in his timing. Trials and persecution refine and sanctify the servant. And in in my book, you can see a lot of references to Isaiah where it's referring to what I just talked about. The servant also will not court popularity, but will pe- preach persuasively by the power of God. It's in, sex, it's in Isaiah 42 and 50. Also, the servant is called to gather scattered Israel. He's to bring Israel in from spiritual darkness to light. And that's major themes in, in chapters 49, 42, and 50. He's just not called to a small geographical location, but servant's mission extends into the entire world. And the servant will establish a covenant with the chosen people and will be a light to the Gentiles. So these are major servants here. This servant is to invite all, including leaders of nations, to repent. This servant prepares a way for those in the spirit prison to hear the true gospel and be freed. And one more, this servant will come before the millennium and, quote, is an instrument in the final redemption of Zion. His mission is significant for it prepares the way for the new of Jerusalem and the return of Zion. That's part of Isaiah 49, 1 Nephi 21, and 1 Nephi 22. So this is definitely... These, this servant is applied to Jesus Christ. You go to Matthew chapter 12, and starting verse 15. When Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from all fence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all, and charged that they should make not, should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant, whom I am chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him." And he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. He, now Matthew's applying this to Christ, is like a bruised reed. Now, I just pause here. A reed is a marsh plant with a tall, hollow stem. A bruised reed is one that's cracked. And therefore, it's made weak. Symbolically, a bruised reed 
may be immortal with physical weaknesses or bodily afflictions. So a bruised reed, he shall not break. Yeah, there's going to be physical restrictions, weaknesses. Okay, there's also another imagery, smoking flax, shall he not quench. Smoking flax is a wick that's made from flax or an oil lamp whose flame wavers. It's about to go out. It may signify somebody who's spiritually weak, whose, well, light is flickering and doesn't burn brightly. Jesus heals and cares for the physically infirm like the bruised weed, bruised, bruised reed. And he's taught and guided by the spiritually weak, the smoking flax. And in his name, Jesus Christ, the Gentiles shall trust. Matthew definitely is identifying Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, this servant as Jesus Christ. And then he asks, he refers to something that the Lord has done. And as I read it, maybe think, how has the Lord done this for you? Isaiah 42, verse 6. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness. Now, I know that the servant song is focusing on Christ and prophets, but this is very applicable to us because Christ calls us in righteousness to do his will. We become the hands of Christ. And maybe the calling's in the church, or maybe it's a calling from the Spirit to say, very simply, reach out to someone. Today, go visit someone. Minister today. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thy hand. If God invites us to do something through his servants, or through the Spirit, he's going to be there with us. And will keep thee. I'm going to be a hold of you. You're safe. And give thee... For a covenant. I love it. Not only holding our hand and keeping us, but part of it is we become a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentiles. I love these verbs. Now, this is from my book. The verbs in this verse have called, will hold, will keep, and give. God has called each of us to be his servants. With each call, we're invited in righteousness and for a righteous purpose. God accompanies us in our call from him. God is there to guard us against evil, to watch for opportunities to help us as he watches over us. We're asked to be a light to the world, just like in Matthew 5, 14 to 16, and a symbol of the covenant of the people. Every covenant person becomes light to the world by holding up the light of the Savior through faithfully living his commandments. And Isaiah 46, verse 7 adds, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. And I'm very well aware that definitely applies to Christ as he goes in the spirit prison. But maybe for us too, it applies just a little. There are some who may be spiritually blind, who may be spiritually captive, that we can minister to and help them be that light for them and point them to Christ. Isaiah then gives a lot of words of comfort to those who he's called, to his servants. Now, I'm just going to read through several of these and make a few comments. So I'm going to start in chapter 43 of Isaiah, verses 1 and 2. But now, saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that hath formed thee, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by name, thou art mine. Anyone part of Israel, he's called us. And when thou passest through the waters, verse 2, I will be with thee. And, thou, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. 
hey, when you're going through some pretty difficult times, those rivers are pretty swollen, they're running pretty swift, they're not going to go over you. I got you. Oh, let's see. And they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. This is definitely, I got you spiritually. I, you're not going to get burnt if you follow me. Keep on the covenant path. Verse 5, fear not, for I am with thee. And I'll bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I got you and your kids. I'll gather everybody out. And verse 11, I, even I am the Lord. Beside me, there is no Savior. This is a Jesus Christ talking. There's no other Savior besides me. I got you. And now in verse 16, Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters. He has a ways for us, a way, a path, a covenant path to bring us back to him. It's in the water. It's in the sea. It doesn't matter whether it's troubled or not. He's got a way for us. Verse 19, And I will do a new thing, and it shall spring forth, and, may, and you shall not know it. I will make a way in the wilderness, and the rivers in the desert. In the time of your wilderness, a time of your difficulty, a time of maybe sin or apostasy, I don't know what it is, I'm going to bring a new thing. Maybe it's the restoration. Maybe it's a covenant that's new to you. But Christ knows the way back for you. And verse 25, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions. For mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. we got to remember that. For those he's called us, part of Israel. I've got your sins. There's nothing that's going to keep me from you. I got this. Don't be thinking in your life that, oh, I, you don't know what I've done. Yeah, he does. And I've he's saying, testifying, I got this. Okay, 44, verses 1 through 3. Hear now, O Israel, my servant, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord that hath made thee and formed thee from the womb. God knew us before we were even on the earth, even when we were in the womb. He knows that there's a purpose for us. Which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, thou Jeshuru. That's a name that means upright or righteous, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water upon him that's thirsty. You got that spiritual thirst? I'm going to help you out. And floods upon dry ground. I will pour out my spirit upon, not just you, but thy seed in verse two, verse 3. And my blessing upon thy offspring. There's some promises when we as parents or grandparents are righteous, the Lord will reach out and bless those around us, our seed, our children, our grandchildren. Verse 8, fear not, neither be afraid. For have not I told thee from that time? Have I not declared it? Haven't I been telling you this for a long time? Verse 21 of chapter 44. Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant. I have formed thee. I love it. He's just keeping these same verbs. I have formed you, not just anyone else. It's not just the prophets. I formed you before you were in the womb. I knew you. You had a preexistence. I put you there for a purpose. Thou art my servant, O Israel. Thou shalt not be forgotten of me. And verse 24, Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, He hath formed thee from the womb. I am the Lord that maketh all things, and stretched forth the heavens alone, and spreadeth forth abroad the earth by myself. I got you. Now, chapter 45, the first part really is a prophecy about a very specific person. There's not very many specific people that a prophet mentions. You got Christ. You got Mary. And this is a guy who's not even a member. His name is 
Cyrus. Now, in chapter 44, the Lord names him as a somebody, this is going to be 200 years in the future. He is a Persian king. And verse 1, he is going to be called God's anointed because God wants Cyrus to be an instrument in the hands of the Lord to bring the Jews out of their captivity from Babylon. So chapter 45, verse 1, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden. There's that symbolic. I got my covenant. I got my righteousness. I'm going to hold you with my right hand. I got you. Okay, and I'm going to skip to verse 5. I am the Lord. There is none else. There is no God beside me. I have girded thee. This is Cyrus. And though thou hast not known me, I'm the one that's put you there, even though you have no idea who I am. Verse 13, I have raised him up, Cyrus, in righteousness. I will direct all his ways. God has foreknowledge. 200 years in advance, this guy's going to be a Babylonian king. He shall build my city, Jerusalem, and he shall let go my captives in Babylon. For not for price nor reward, saith the Lord of hosts. There will become a physical deliverance by this guy 200 years in advance, and Isaiah is prophesying it. And now we're skipping to Christ in verse 17. But Israel shall be saved. Now, Cyrus was physical, but you're saved spiritually by the Lord Jesus Christ. But Israel, verse 17, shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded world without end. And then verses 21 to 25, Tell me, and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord, for there is no God beside me. A just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. Look unto me, and be saved. All ye ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Verse 23, I have sworn of myself. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue will swear. And you get those prophecies in section 76 or in Doctrine and Covenants 88. That's the prophecy of Jesus Christ. Every, te- nung, every knee is going to bow. Tongue will confess. Jesus is the Christ. Verse 24. Surely shall one say, In the Lord I have righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that have increased against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. So Isaiah just comes, hey, word of Christ. You got comfort, you have glory. In Christ, you have deliverance. Now I'm going to pause on just a couple of verses that one that I read. I'm going to go back to them. Because I think Isaiah 45.8 has another meaning that we want to be aware of. The skies pour down righteousness. The earth opens and brings forth salvation. And righteousness... And salvation, that righteousness, salvation, come forth together because God's created it. Psalm 85, 11, a few weeks ago, we went over this one. Truth shall spring forth out of the earth. And this imagery, what truth springs forth out of the earth as a record testifying of Jesus Christ? It's the Book of Mormon. And righteousness shall look down from heaven. Righteousness is revelation. It is the restoration of keys. They come together. Or as Moses chapter 7, verse 61 and 62 say, And in that day shall come, the earth shall rest. But before that day, the heavens shall be darkened, the veil of darkness shall cover the earth, and the heavens shall shake, 
and also the earth. And great tribulation shall be among the children of men. But my people will I preserve, and righteousness will I send down from heaven, and truth will I send forth out of earth, to bear testimony of mine only begotten, his resurrection from the dead, yea, and also the resurrection of all men. And righteousness and truth will I cause to sweep the earth as a flood, to gather out mine elect from the four corners of the earth, unto a place which I shall prepare, a holy city, that my people may gird up their loins, and be looking forth for the time of his coming. For there shall be my tabernacle, and it shall be called Zion, a new Jerusalem. I love that idea. Ezra Taft Benson said this about these verses, all of them, Isaiah and Psalms and in the book of Moses. The Lord promised, therefore, that righteousness would come forth from heaven and truth out of earth. We have seen the marvelous fulfillment of that prophecy in our generation. The Book of Mormon has come forth out of the earth, filled with truth, serving as the very keystone of our religion. God has also sent down righteousness from heaven. The Father himself appeared with his Son to the prophet Joseph Smith. The angel Moroni, John the Baptist, Peter James, and numerous other angels were directed by heaven to restore the necessary powers to the kingdom. Further, the prophet Joseph Smith received revelation after revelation from the heavens during those first crucial critical years of the church's growth. These revelations have been preserved for us in the Doctrine and Covenants. So you have that righteousness coming down from heaven, revelation. You have the salvation or truth being the Book of Mormon. These are a means for God to preserve his people. So in these chapters and summarizing the relevance, the application, and the hope, just a little bit of it in those chapters 40 to 47, God calls servants for us to help us, to guide us, to teach us, He's also given us covenants to help us be a light to others. And God consistently provides comfort and reassurance. Because chapter 48 of Isaiah comes, the furnace of our affliction. And chapter 48, Isaiah is going to note, remind us, even in our furnace of our affliction, God has chosen us. And chapter 48 is the first chapter that's quoted in the Book of Mormon. It's found in 1 Nephi 20. Nephi teaches this chapter to Isaiah shortly after his family's arrival in the Americas. He introduces the words of Isaiah in 1 Nephi 19 by giving a small discourse. So here's kind of the short summary of 1 Nephi 19. It's some of the things that, that God's given us. He teaches his people that are of great worth to the body and the soul. He then talks about the prophecies of the crucifixion, the scattering of the Jews. He centers on many things that the Jews will suffer until there comes a time when they'll no more turn aside the hearts against the Holy One of Israel, then he'll remember the covenants which he made to the fathers. <laughs> Nephi relates this to the people, so they remember the Lord their Redeemer, especially when life's furnaces of affliction further encourage them to remember the Lord. Nephi next challenges the people, and those who will live in the latter days to apply the words to themselves. The words of this chapter are given to those who have made a covenant to remember Christ. And just... Here's another one minute, just background, what's happening in the background that maybe, as I as Nephi is saying, i got to give some hope to my family. What's been happening in his family? Here's the major events that's happened so far before he is quoting Isaiah to his family. So you go back to 1 Nephi chapter 2. Lehi speaks with power, and it's filled with spirit, and his sons know it, and they leave Jerusalem father's testimony affects the family's life, especially Laman and Lemuel. Chapter 3, they return to get the plates. And the brothers of the story, brothers start smacking around Nephi. 
An angel comes, tells them to stop. Angel's visit definitely influences Lame Lemuel. They still murmur, ah, after the angel visit, but they're obedient. In chapter 7, they are once again beating up Nephi. And it's the pleading of a righteous, of two righteous women and righteous man, by summarize pleadings of righteous women, that affect Laman and Lemuel. And okay, we're going to stop beating up Nephi. Let's go back to Lehi and, and mom in the wilderness. By the time you get 16, Nephi's broken his bow. There's no food. Lehi's rebuked by the Lord and is given revelation. That rebuking affects Laman and Lemuel. That individual revelation has an influence on Laman and Lemuel. And in chapter 18, they're on the boat. And they tie Nephi up. And there's that large storm. And they think, ah, oh, we're going to perish from life our, for our lives. God uses a big storm to influence Laman and Lemuel. So you, you go from like a light touch to a big touch to influence Laman and Lemuel. Father testifies. Then an angel there is just great power in the pleading of a righteous woman. The revelation and the large storm. But there's also in chapter 18 where that all stops being effective. Dad testifies in 18, has no effect. We have no, the, uh, no idea that an angel visits. Righteous women plead for Laman and Lemuel, and it doesn't make a difference. There is no more revelation that affects Laman and Lemuel. The storm, for a while, doesn't affect Laman and Lemuel until they're absolutely worried that they're going to perish. That's the background. They're landing and then I just picture their family as being spiritually a house divided. Laman and Lemuel, the spirit's longer working with them. They've lost their religion. They've lost their connection with God. They're not keeping their covenants. Reminds me of a song that was sung when I was growing up. When I was a teenager, R.E.M. came out with the song, Losing My Religion. Part of the lyrics are these. That's me in the corner. That's me in the spotlight. Losing my religion. Trying to keep up with you. And I don't know if I can do it. Oh no, I've said too much. I haven't said enough. I thought that I heard you laughing. I thought that I heard you sing. I think I thought I saw you try, but that was just a dream. Try? Cry? Why try? That was just a dream, just a dream. It's a process of maybe what Laman and Lemuel have gone through in losing their religion. Where that's happening in Christianity today. I, Nephi is going to quote some Isaiah to a group of his family that's lost their way. We see that in society today, maybe in our families. In the larger society today, we see that in Christianity. John L. Cooper, about a month ago, a little over that, wrote a little blurb, said, what in God's name is happening in Christianity? And he says, we are in a dangerous place when the church is looking to 20-year-old worship singers as our source of truth, he explained. We now have a church culture that learn, learns from God who is singing modern praise songs rather than from the teachings of the word. What do you do when someone you love is losing their religion? And they start to tear your family apart. How can you help someone who's lost their religion like Laman and Lemuel. So, here's what Nephi does. He's going to quote Isaiah. That's the background to quoting these chapters. He's quoting it to give hope and to bring people to Christ who maybe have lost their religion. 
to a family divided. So just that quick summary. Nephi teaches them what's great worth. He prophesies of crucifixion and scattering. He teaches that there's going to be a time when no, people no more turn their hearts aside from the Holy Word of Israel. Then he will remember the covenants which he's made to the fathers. There's a good time come where this is going to get better. He relates to his people that perhaps I may persuade them that they remember the Lord their Redeemer, but to more fully persuade everyone in the house divided to believe in the Lord. He's reading Isaiah and to liken the words of Isaiah to himself. So, for Nephi, one of the reasons he quotes Isaiah is the promise that they may have hope. For after this manner has the prophet written. The next two chapters that we're going to study is quoted by Nephi to give hope to a family divided, to a family that's lost, some of them are losing their religion, to a mom and dad who are at wit's end. What do I do to help my kids? And he says, this is going to help you too for your profit and learning. It's going to help you more fully believe in the Lord your Redeemer. So, Let's just look at some verses in these, in this chapter that may give hope. So, Isaiah 48, verse 1. Hear ye, house of Israel. That's a family name. Sorry, house of Jacob, family name. Are called by the name of Israel. That's the covenant name. Come out of the waters of Judah. Swear by the name of the Lord. And make mention of the Lord in Israel, but not in truth nor in righteousness. So, here's one thing. To have hope you got to know, you are strengthened through covenants. Regardless of where your position are in life, regardless of the circumstances you are, you have strength through covenants. Verses 2 and 3. People may call themselves the holy city and say, I'm really with the Lord. But God's declared, verse 3, the former things from the beginning, and I just summarize here, right here, God knows the future. He knows what people are saying. He knows us. He knows everything about us. And verse 9 for my name's sake, I will defer my anger. For my praise, I will refrain for thee, that I cut thee not off. It doesn't matter what you've done, what's happening in the family, what people have done. God's not going to cut us off. That's hopeful. And then we have verses 8 and 9. Yea, thou heardest not, thou knewest not, yea, not from that time was I ear open, not opened. For I knew thou would deal very treacherously, and was called a transgressor from the room. For thy sake I will defer my anger. And for thy praise I will, not, I will refrain for thee. I will cut thee not off. Verse 10. I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. And sometimes, is that the way it is? We have some impurities in us. And I've told this story before, and forgive me if you've heard it before. When I was in South Africa, I went to a place that they were refining gold. And this guy looked like he's a Michelin man, a bubble suit, and comes out wobbling along. Oh, this is, this is great. And there's a little blast furnace door that's 18 inches by 18 inches. And they open it up, and the Michelin man kind of walks over with tongs and pulls out this red hot crucible and puts it onto a table. And then someone else is shutting that, that door of that blast furnace. I was in a suit coat. I was a missionary. I was cold when I was sitting there waiting for the presentation. It took five, six seconds for that blast door to open to get the crystal out before they shut it. And by that time, that heat, I was sweating. And then the, they talked about how the elements that are just heavier elements of gold fall down the bottom and they get, take them off. And the dross of things that kind of burn off, but there's a little film of uh, 
black, dark gray on top. They take off. And I remember vividly, someone asked, how do you know when the gold is pure? And the guy who's doing the presentation, we know the gold is pure when we can see our reflection in it. And sometimes in the furnace of affliction, we are that gold. God gets rid of that dross, that extra stuff. And when he can see his reflection in us, he knows we're pure. But that's part of the furnace of affliction. It purifies us. And then verse 18, Oh, that thou... i got to get my scriptures in front of me. Oh, thou hast hearkened unto my commandments. Then thy peace... I love it. Your peace is compared to a river. A river is just constantly coming down. You can picture in this nice... Because this is symbolic of Christ's peace. Pure, cold, clear, crisp. And you picture that's the peace constantly flowing to you. Thy peace shall be as a river. And maybe that peace is flowing and people are seeing that coming from you too. And thy righteousness as the waves of the sea, just gently coming, always coming in. There's power. And thy righteousness as the waves of the sea. I just love that. Okay? So the idea, hearkening to God brings a river of peace. And hearkening to God brings waves of righteousness to you. And verse 7 and thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou should go. He is going to go, and verse 20, go ye forth out of Babylon. God's able to do miracles in our lives. He's teaching us today, you can flee Babylon and sing the joy of redeeming love. And one last thing in verse 22, there is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. God's done all these things for us and greater also, even though there's no peace for the wicked. Okay, now just switching gears a little bit, keeping that hope in light alive. This was a couple years ago. I got on, and I'm not a, I'm not on social media very often, but my high school has this page where it's for alumni. Hey, go Cougars. And and this was the thing that I got. I don't know why I got this little email. This person's done in, in, in Kearns. And I clicked on it. And somebody had typed in this for my graduate class. Does anyone remember? Does anyone remember me? I wish I could hear from you. I feel all alone and nobody calls me or texts me. The rates of loneliness have reportedly doubled over the past 50 years. Significantly, these rates of loneliness have were, had risen during the pandemic. In the recently released results of a study conducted last October by researchers at Making Caring Common, 36% of the respondents to a national survey of approximately 950 Americans reported feeling lonely frequently or almost all the time or all the time. In the prior four weeks, compared with 25% who recalled experiencing serious issues in the two months prior to the pandemic. Perhaps most striking is that 61% of those aged 18 to 25 reported high levels of loneliness. And in Isaiah, he now gives hope for those who feel forsaken. Chapter 49, verse 14. But Zion has said, Zion's complaining. The Lord's forsaken me, and my Lord's forgotten me. They're complaining. They're feeling forgotten, like my classmate. But there's two other things that I that Zion's going to complain about in verse 29. 
They'll say in their heart, who's forgotten me? Seeing I've lost children, I'm desolate, I'm captive, I'm moving to and fro, I'm just lost, I'm tossed to and fro. I was left alone. So Isaiah realizes, people are saying, God, you've forgotten me. I'm alone, I don't feel you by me. And also, verse 24, they feel like they are captive. And the question is asked, is there any hope for anybody who's captive? Shall the prey be taken from the mighty or the lawful be or the lawful captive be delivered? Isaiah chapter 49 talks that God has not forgotten you. If you're lonely, God's there for you. If you're captive, he is powerful enough to deliver you. The God's servant in this chapter enables hope. And I got all these verses and I'll just go through it. Hope comes through the servant because in verse 1 of chapter 49, they are foreordained to do this. They're prepared in verse 2 for a purpose. And they're going to invite verse 5 others to spiritually return to God. There's an emphasis in Isaiah that God's servants can have an emphasis on you having a personal relationship with God. And there is going to be a gathering prophesied of Israel in verse 5. That's how the hope comes to the servant. The New International Version clarifies the meaning of the verse. Quote, It's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. In other words, for Lord, the gathering of Israel is a small matter. Nothing's too hard for the Lord or for any servant he may send who has faith in him. In verse 6, the servant's also going to give light to guide us in our day, to point us to Christ. Just like in Matthew 5, we are like asked to be a light of the world. The servant at the appointed time, God's going to help and preserve and give the servant a covenant for the people. The servant's also to establish the earth or restore the ability of people of the whole earth to make a covenant with God. And verse 9 of chapter 49, enable those who are in darkness to see the light. Similar wordings found in Isaiah 42.7. The prophet Joseph explained that those who sit in darkness, who are in prison, refer to the spirits of the dead who are bound in spirit prison or hell. God will provide through, for all of his people's needs. He's going to gather them. Verse 12, he's going to comfort them. So the question is, has God forgotten us? Here's God's answer. Okay, he's got the servants that are helping but he's got, you, you have to know, has God forgotten you? Verse 14. Verse 15, one of the all-time favorite verses of Isaiah. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Is that possible? Yeah, not likely, but it's possible. And he says that, yeah, it's possible. They may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have graven thee on the palms of my hands. Every time I look at my palms, every time I look at my wrists, I'm reminded of you. I've done the atonement for you, says Jesus Christ. Have I forgotten you? No, all I have to do is look at my palm. You're there. And I love the next part of this. Thy walls are continually before me. And there's, the walls can do major things. There are walls for protection. You could read that by the things that I'm doing to protect you are continually before me. But maybe it's also not just 
the walls of the city or the walls that I provide, but it also says thy walls. Maybe there's walls in our life that we are meant to overcome that we want. There's barriers in our life. Your barriers, the things that you're struggling with, the things you want to overcome, they're continually before me. I got them in my mind, so I know how to help you. I haven't forgotten you. Second question Zion's asked, Hey, have you left us alone? The answer, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up mine hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people. To the Gentiles, that standard is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm going to set it up. Have I left you alone? No, I'm going to make a church for you that you'll know that you're not alone. I'm going to have a prophet for you, my spokesperson. So going back, and they shall bring thy sons, now they, the standard, the church, the people who are reaching out, shall bring thy sons in their arms. And thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. They're going to nurture them. They're going to take care of your offspring. This is a future event to the Gentiles. It's not going to happen until the 1830s. Okay, 1830. And kings shall be the nursing fathers, and queens shall be the nursing mothers. They shall bow down to thee with their face towards the earth. Look at the dust of thy feet. And thou shalt know I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. And then the idea, can God free the captive? And there's also legally captive in there, lawfully captive. So, well, you've done something wrong, and you're captive, and you should be a captive. You may be in prison. Can God free you? So that's verse 24. Shall the prey be taken from the mighty, or the lawful captive delivered? But thus saith the Lord. Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with them that contendeth with thee, and I will save thy children. For Christ, the great mighty, to overcome, to deliver from, is death and hell. I will free them, verse 20, 26, that oppress thee with their own flesh, and they shall be drunken with their own blood, as with sweet wine, and all flesh shall know that I am the Lord, and then indications that this is from death and hell. I am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, who redeems us from sin, the Mighty One of Jacob. In speaking of chapter 49, we don't have to wait long to know that these words have been fulfilled in our day, that God has set up a standard, that God has a servant for us, that God is our Redeemer and our Savior, President Wilford Woodruff said this, quote, The revelations that are in the Bible, the predictions of the patriarchs and the prophets, who saw by vision and revelation the last dispensation and the fullness of times, plainly tell us what is to come to pass. The 49th chapter of Isaiah is having its fulfillment. Some of the most relevant and applicable chapters in all of Isaiah are chapters 49 and 48. They give us hope, especially if we have families that may be like family members that may be like Laman Lemuel, who have stepped away from the truth, who are like, I don't want to be on this path right now. These chapters teach us that there is hope for the forgotten, for the lonely, for those who may be captive. The servants of God are here for us. And I hope this today, as we've gone through Isaiah, that you've learned some things of Isaiah that have been relevant and applicable for you that have helped persuade you to believe in Jesus Christ, to give you hope, maybe lift it up your hearts and make you rejoice. Because I know that what Isaiah has taught, especially chapters 49 and 50, sure are relevant, applicable, and give us hope today. Now, just some teaching thoughts. 
I haven't done a lot of these teaching thoughts as I've gone through it. I've just been trying to teach quite a bit of Isaiah. But once again, anytime you're in Isaiah, teach how it's relevant, applicable, and gives hope today. Compare it to your lives. You find some verse that, that apply to you. If you're like Nephi, you're going to compare it and get give you some hope. And be continuing to focus on themes. Maybe it is that times of spiritual peril. I know I've had this up before. Maybe it's your family that's in spiritual peril. What themes did or things that did Nephi talk about and Isaiah say in chapters 48 and 49 that can give your family hope in time of spiritual peril? God's provided us servants to direct us towards Christ and give us hope. And you see that. And that's maybe a theme. Okay, today's servants, how are they pointing us towards Christ and giving us hope? Some of the teaching thoughts here is there is peace and rest in Christ. And Isaiah's words, how do they give your family hope? Especially if you're in a time of distress or spiritual distress. Thanks for spending some time with me as we talked about Isaiah chapters 40 to 49. I appreciate it. And especially a shout out once again to Cedar Fort. I am very grateful that they were willing to publish my two-volume set, and very grateful for it. Have a great day. Keep smiling.